Hello and welcome to episode 396 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 4th of May, 2022. My name is Chris Thurston and joining me this evening are Marsh Davis. Hello. And recently wedded Tom Senior. It is I. Congratulations, no, Tom. Thank, thank you so much. It was That's all right. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me for your wedding. Thank you for inviting <laughs> me and Alex to your wedding. And sorry as well. Let's uh, please tell the story, Chris. Okay, so I'm going to tell a little story. We kick up the podcast with a little story. Uh, it's nice to be back, by the way. Um, so uh, uh, Tom, Tom, Tom got married. That's great. A much delayed wedding because of the pandemic, uh, and lovely to to for the you know the the third RSVP to be the one. You know, that was <laughs> yeah. really you know great for everybody. I imagine for you as well. Uh, and so anyway, the day rolls around the Saturday, and me and Alex agree that we will share a cab, uh, various reasons the two of us attending. And we, Alex pre-books a, a taxi. Uh, he books it on like the Thursday, I think, for, for the Saturday to pick us up at 1 p.m. to get us there for half one. And I believe that's when we have to arrive. This, this so far is not an amazing story, but bear with me. Um, <laughs> we get to 10 past one. The taxi was supposed to come to my house, pick me up, and then go to Alex's house, pick him up. It's 10 past one, and the cab hasn't appeared. Alex and I are texting back and forth. I say texting, we're using Discord, that's not important. And Alex then gets a text from the taxi company basically saying, really, sorry, uh, we just sort of haven't done it. Um, <laughs> if you want to wait, well, maybe, we'll see. And obviously this is like the panic station, so you know, I, hate, I hate being late for anything. Uh, I'm not saying Alex doesn't, but I don't know, I can't speak for him. And um, so we make the decision that I'll try and book us an Uber. But because of stupid, like, well, I can't possibly inconvenience a cab company that's already really inconvenienced us, um, we decide to cancel the other thing rather than like, you know, have two pans in the fire at the same time. We should have kept both open, frankly, um, seeing who turned up first because the Uber turned out to be 20 minutes away in fucking Bristol or somewhere. <laughs> and so it didn't get to me until half past. The guy was lovely. And it was the most politely I've ever said the words like, mm, uh, floor it uh, to a man. <laughs> um, we get to the end of Alex's road. He's like... Um, meets us on the street and i know this because he sort of like looms out of the bushes when fully kind of suited <laughs> up and the uber driver says like is that your friend and i'm like yes and then he dives into the, it was like I'm, I'm glad um he dives into the car we get there and we we get to the venue and i'm, I'm texting everyone i know who's there to apologize but apart from tom because i figured you were busy we get to the venue at four minutes to two and the ceremony starts at two we jump out onto this like uh, pebble path, like gravel path. We walk a few paces. Alex almost immediately loses his footing and almost completely eats shit on the path. Just like legs out from under him. He manages to correct. It's all okay. We get to the actual place. And I think the lady who might have been like either the venue manager or like maybe wedding planner, I'm not sure, uh, lady with an iPad says, are you here for, for Tom and, and Tom and Emma? And we're like, yes. She's like, uh, mm. well, they have started a little bit early but I think I can sneak you in upstairs. And then when she says this, I'm like, oh, thank God. It's one of those chapels with a gallery. They can sneak us in upstairs and no one will ever know. What she actually meant was the chapel just is upstairs. Or the, the you know, the, the the room for the service is just upstairs. And actually, uh, you walk in through a set of stairs, basically directly into the ceremony, as if emerging from the floor in like a, like a performance <laughs> <Yeah>. of cats. <laughs> and me and Alex do this at the exact moment that the officiant says, does anyone object to this union? Oh, no. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, 
and everyone's looking at us and and obviously there's no there's going to be no climbing over people to look for seats at this point so we just kind of like sheepishly like circles strafe across the back of the room the vision says like i think she she did well she sort of rolled with it and said like well, i hope you're not here to object and i was like absolutely not just like kind of just tried to make myself i think like, i just heard com- no <laughs> from the back of the room no it was amazing sorry uh, miss I was um, cause I, I was uh, absolutely bricking it. It's actually terrifying getting married, by the way. Um, it's uh, like we're standing there facing the person officiating the wedding, and uh, they do. She does the thing where it's like, "Oh, does anyone here object to this this wedding?" And I just heard a kaflump, <laughs> <laughs> and then a lot of panting. And I was like, "Do I need to turn around for this?" Because <laughs> I was supposed to be doing like looking at, at the person officiating this, and uh, it was. Extremely funny. That's the I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I almost accidentally uh, <laughs> graduated your wedding. Uh, it was splendid. It was splendid. Especially because it was the two of us as well, and a bunch of idiots. Um, apparently, uh, I was talking to um, Emma afterwards. I believe that the moment where Alex almost completely lost it and fell on his ass in the gravel path, the only person through the the open back door of the the room that could see him from there was Emma as she was being walked <laughs> down the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I feel like at this point, we just settled into the role of like, oh, we're the clowns. <laughs> like, it, you know, we, we've got the kind of like, you know, the, the, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Not that all weddings have those. <laughs> I don't believe it's one of the things, like a pair of fools. But, I, I you know. love that, you know, a quaint and crowbar moment did happen uh, in a pretty key moment of the wedding, I would say, like as, as ceremonies go. But it was. Uh, it yeah, was I mean, fabulous. I mean, I was saying that, like, you know. I don't know if it like, I think it is the worst time to walk in. I don't think there is a worse time because it's not like you could walk in during the vows and like you accidentally get married to, to Alex, right? Like that's not going to happen. Like It's not like, you know, one of us misses the queue and says, oh, I do. And then it's like, oh shit, you've ruined the whole thing. You know, the legal window was open and now you're married. Like, you know, whatever. That, that's not quite how that works. But, you know, it really, it really did look like we'd burst in <laughs> to stop the wedding. <laughs> Uh, just a uh, great, the British graduate moment. Yeah. Uh, well, oh, I'm that... so sorry I wasn't there to uh, also fuck up your wedding. It sounds, like a, <laughs> it sounds like a great time. It was really good fun. Uh, we had a great time. It was lovely. Uh, thanks for telling the story, Chris. That was. Uh, That's all right. Nice uh, to hear your uh, side. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm fascinated to hear your side. Well, I suppose I have. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, I'm sorry again that um, we're like this. No apologies required. <laughs> I mean, to I be fair, to be fair, it is pretty bad for a cab company to just cancel 10 minutes after yeah. a two-day pre-booked cab. I'm just saying, that's it's pretty true. bad. That's pretty Can't bad. Oh, it's nice to be back doing podcasts. I feel like I should also say at the top of this, um, sorry, regular listeners, that we had a bit of a timing wobble in the last month. Shit's been crazy. And it's slightly mm. less crazy now, so we can get back to something resembling a regular schedule starting this week, which is nice. Mm. feels good to be back to normal although i did realize that absent-mindedly the um the window for the for zencaster the software we used to record this is incredibly bright i don't know if anyone else finds that just i don't know if it has a night mode but it is just pure white basically and so i just instinctively as i was telling that story um put my sunglasses on because they happen to be on my <laughs> desk um <laughs> i just feel like i should paint you a mind picture here so just because that 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 story doesn't make me sound cool enough um i want you to know i'm now wearing shades and probably will be for the remainder of this uh, hot, hot summer PC games pod. Um, Marsh. Yes. Uh, you're going to regale us with the truth 
I believe, of the news. We're actually going to do some news because there is some news. Yeah. Would you like well, to uh, kick us off? Yeah. It's uh, from one marriage to a different kind of marriage. A marriage of business and intellectual property. <laughs> I object <laughs> to that. <laughs> yeah, the news is that uh, Embracer Group have acquired Aidos and all its IP, uh, buying it from Square Enix for 300 million dollars that's that's it really i mean the, the embracer group is uh probably better known as uh its former name is thq nordic hmm. um, and it's this massive uh holding company that in turn owns a bunch of other massive holding companies that in turn ultimately own studios such as uh 3d realms and coffee stain and gearbox and ghost ship games and gunfire games which i always confuse uh, Free Radical, Volition, Bugbear, uh, and a whole bunch of others, uh, as well as board game and comics properties like Asmodee and, and Dark Horse. Mm. So but, um, it's interesting particularly because everybody's keen, I would imagine, uh, among our listenership to see another Deus Ex game. And perhaps this this purchase makes it slightly more possible uh, because uh, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I don't particularly love consolidation and uh, I've railed against it on this podcast in the past, but I don't feel like this is consolidation <coughs> since it's not like it. Eidos was a set of independent studios to begin with. Uh, they've sort of simply been like spat out by one amoeba and then immediately swallowed by another. Uh, but I think this is probably a, a better amoeba for them. Um, <laughs> I never felt like Square Enix really, well, what, you yeah, know, go on, sorry. Inter, in, sorry, intermeshed, you know, with Aidos mm. really well, and like the IP is so different, and didn't seem to know what to do with the latter, to the extent that Aidos had pretty much given up on making games based on its own IP uh, after a couple of like underperforming but ex expensive installments, uh, and that just seems like a, a massive waste. So, yeah, what do you think? The Deus Ex universe, as was advertised many years ago, never quite emerged, did it? The kind nope. of like cross uh, cross game intermeshed with mobile presence sort of modern, uh, you know, living world experience never came to fruition for any of Square's stuff apart from, I don't know, Final Fantasy MMOs. <laughs> so, uh, you know, for those games that are just such dedicated single player games, if they are allowed to be made on the, just those terms and just to be fine to be a self-contained, uh, you know, action, first person action adventure thing, uh, that would be super positive, I think. And the only chance of Deus Ex could be back in a recognizable form. Yeah. It's always odd, isn't it, when uh, something like Deus Ex in this case, or Tomb Raider as well, which is also affected by this, enters this sort of a holding company of this size, is you don't really know what sort of um, expectations are going to be placed on it. You know, what what sorts of projects it's going to be asked to, or kind of business goals it's going to be asked to hold up, right? Because I agree with you. Like, through that, like, kind of, you know, various sort of, like, levels of options there, as you kind of describe the various places already owned, there are the odds that it ends up at a, a company sort of lean enough at a project, kind of scoped appropriately enough to get you, like, a... Um, that the sort of contained single player thing that you're describing, which I think is almost certainly what everybody would want. However, it requires the kind of stars to align in terms of expectations on it. I can equally imagine it landing in a different company's lap. Let's let's say Gearbox, for example, right? Like as a kind of like, well, in order for this to be a worthwhile business venture, it needs to be a service game of some kind. It needs to have that kind of um, 
it needs to play that kind of role. So I feel like you really don't know. I mean, I kind of agree with you. Like, I, I think it's it's a. I wouldn't say like I'm not ready to say it's necessarily a better fate for those uh, properties, but I think you're also right to, to point out that like I don't think anyone really knew what was going to happen with them under Square Enix anyway. So it feels like it feels like a big roll of the dice, or we've just kind of like thrown them into a, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make a worse analogy. It's like they've been taken out of one particular uh, tumble dryer and put in a different tumble dryer, but this one is on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I kind of think that they've already made the mistake of trying to make big service games out of properties that would be better served by single player games. Like, I think that's the reason that these studios have been so massively undervalued. Mm. Like 300 million is is insanely low for yeah. several mm. studios of that size with that amount of, you know, already there employed talent and IP ready to go. It's it's peanuts, which means that the last few installments of, say, Lara Croft or, or the Avengers games or the uh, Guardian of the Galaxy, they must have been incredibly unprofitable <laughs> in order for that that uh, that price to come down so low. Yeah. But I, I but I don't think there's anything, you know, there's nothing intrinsic to that studio's talent or the quality of the games that they put out that, say, you know, the last ASX game, Mankind Divided, could do so poorly when Cyberpunk, which is an inferior product in lots of essential ways, was essentially able to sell a very, very similar fantasy with wild success only a couple of years later. Like, I I, I think there's just... Um, I think they, they just looked at the way that that and the last Lara Croft game had, had done poorly, and they took a lot of incorrect lessons away from that. And... You know, one of the ways in which they thought to modernize the studio's output was by jumping on trends, uh, matching them with the Marvel IP, I think was a mistake. I mean, I, I'm interested to hear your take on this, but I wonder if you you think as a result of those games um, underperformance, whether like Marvel IP is generally something which is locked to the films and those actors like the kind there's not the people who are fans of the marvel cinematic universe won't necessarily have any buy-in into a game which uses those characters but in a a different context do you think that's true that's an interesting i think i feel like in order for that to be uh, to be measured uh in a useful way you almost need more to compare that game to right like that because I think, because so correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I know, Guardians of the Galaxy seemed to do fairly well. It did critically very well, and it won awards. I don't know how it sold, which would be interesting to figure mm. out. Uh, obviously, the Avengers game struggled. The Avengers game was also, I think, a tricky proposition for a number of reasons as a kind of quasi-MMO. It's a confusing game in a lot of ways. Um, whereas I would say, for example, I think it's fairly abundantly clear that the uh, Insomniac Spider-Man games... Have done incredibly well, yeah. So I, I don't necessarily think that uh, it's the case that these adaptations of of Marvel, if they stray beyond the kind of known bounds of the cinematic kind of universe, that they will necessarily be unsuccessful. But I think, well, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Like, I mean, the, the accusations against those games by their detractors are completely different. Like, I, I when when Avengers was first shown everybody in the press was like who the fuck are these knockoff you know mm. <laughs> avengers they don't look anything like the people from the film nobody i don't don't remember seeing a single comment about the spider-man game in that respect no but and they I did wonder, change what, spider-man to make him look more like tom holland 
I know they, yeah, they did, but like, <laughs> but, but I don't think anybody was asking for that, which is curious. No, people complained when they did it, actually. Maybe the answer is people will complain either way. Oh, yeah. People definitely, <laughs> I think oh, there was, yeah. I did see, a, and I saw a mild amount of it when the Guardians of the Galaxy game was announced, right? Like the off-brand, mm. the off-brand Groot of it all. I thought the characterization was fantastic in that Guardians game, though. Like, in, yeah. it, it was, um, might have been in some ways quite a rote third-person action game, but uh, it had it really built in proper cathartic character moments to each of those characters and took more time and care over them than perhaps the films did, I would argue. Uh, so I think that there's just excellent direction behind that that makes it more appealing. I think also both, I mean, both the Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy, in terms of the wider culture, are movie properties. Mm. Whereas I think Spider-Man has a much longer legacy uh, being in, in various different guises, so I don't, I don't think there's necessarily the expectation that like a video game version of Spider-Man would look like Tom Holland. I wonder but, if it's yeah. like, I'm going to, I'm going to make the old man, the old man point, but maybe it's like, don't get your old man point out, Chris. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. I've got a story to tell you about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, <laughs> don't know if, anyway, that's a, that's a, it sounds like a total non sequitur. It's not, <laughs> it but I'll get back to it. Um, <laughs> um, all right, I'll just say it. Okay. So watched, rewatched Raiders of the Lost Ark the other day. Mm. Um, and, uh, I think it stands up, you know, et cetera, but you know, the, you know, the evil monkey in Razor Lots Ark, you know, the little Nazi monkey. Yes. There's a yeah. bit where it climbs into a truck window and it goes, it's just like a short clip of it climbing up into the window of a, the open window of a truck and it looks out and it goes, ah, and its dick pops out <laughs> and really quite explicitly. <laughs> and, and when we were watching it and there was like, wait a minute. And we went back and checked. And, yep, it really does. And, and so I was like, well, okay, because obviously the bit at the end of the film, or towards the end of the film, um, where um, Belloc like, eats a fly, right? Like famously, the fly just crawls into the actor's mouth during the take and they just went with it. Um, that is such like a famous movie blunder, like the, not blunder, <laughs> but like weird movie fact, like the stormtrooper hitting his head that I was like, I was convinced that the Raiders of the Lost Dark monkey penis must be like one of these like famous... <laughs> weird cinema moments and so obviously i immediately googled like raiders of the lost ark monkey penis and like no one was talking about it like why is no one talking about this and it's not even on the imd i checked all of the different era areas of the imdb page from like goofs continuity anachronisms all of it historical inaccuracy it wasn't under any of those sections um issues with um uh, issues with equipment you know all of the equipment visible i checked equipment visible nope <laughs> None of it, and and um, uh, if you if you want to see this, you can you can go on um, Pip's Twitter feed. To she she clipped it um, and produced a <laughs> horrendously graphic GIF um, to zoom in to prove the point. Uh, I I'm sorry that I've derailed this conversation so completely with this, but it's been on my mind all week, and um, I've taken my sunglasses off just to say all this because it's quite serious. <laughs> um, One more of that is uh, um, Meatloaf's trousers fall down in Fight Club in the background, and uh, do they? Yep, <laughs> they're running out of their hideout, and his trousers full on just go down, and it's not planned, and it just sort of happened, and they left it in. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, they go. But but is that like is that like if you search for that, will you find like a YouTube video of someone's like famous video internet moments or something? I don't think so. I think okay. it's, some moments it's equally everyone special. just agrees not to talk about. Uh, right. Yeah. For just our collective dignity. <laughs> but I mean, I'm just. I was I was surprised because it is hard to not see it when you've seen it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, <laughs> what was I talking about? The point I was going to make was about Fortnite. I think. Um, 
Yeah, so you're right, Marsh, that <laughs> Avengers is a multimedia property, like Indiana Jones. Um, uh, but what I was going to say is that, like, I think maybe the precedent for, you know, IP crossover into games like Fortnite at the moment is so deep and broad and almost probably expected by a younger audience that I think, and maybe I said this at the time, but, like, an Avengers MMO is sort of, in terms of the time, the amount of time it's asking for and what it's offering in return, i.e. social play, progression, these kinds of things is weirdly competing with games like Fortnite, where if you want, particularly like the previous season of Fortnite, you can just be Spider-Man if you want, or you can run around as Doctor Strange now, right? Like that sort of thing. I don't know saying it's the same thing, but I think in terms of the mindshare of like, who needs to be won over by that to buy into the game and where they're playing games and what they're playing and what their time and money is being spent on, it's actually a fairly big target to aim at, even though it seems like such a gimme if it's like we've got the biggest IP in the world. Yeah. So that would be, you know, it's like um, the old the old man point to return to the beginning of that tangent was going to be, you know, yes, it's cool, but is is it going to get them away from their fortnights? The answer, I think, is probably no, um, uh, as it may well prove to be. So um, that's all I've got to say about the monkey's dick in Raiders of the Lost Ark. That went places. That news segment. <laughs> yeah, it did. I mean, surely that's is that the end of the news? Like, I, I mean, I mean, like, surely we've got I mean, more I to say about hit, hit all the key points. Ruining somebody's wedding. A monkey's dick has popped out. <laughs> those. I mean, if you're just joining the podcast now, those are different <laughs> stories. <laughs> I imagine. Oh God, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> If he had eaten it on that pathway and his dick had popped out, that would be a that would be a good moment. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just imagining that. It's very funny. Um Right. So I mean <laughs> fucking hell. I mean if you like, I could I could there's a segue here, um, but it involves more of me talking. Um uh, but the segue would be to games that you wouldn't expect to be service games when everyone's expecting a single player game. Do go on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, chaps. I'm talking about a game I've been playing a lot, actually. I checked the timer and it's like I'm about 16 hours in. Um, Vampire the Masquerade Blood Hunt. Oh. Mm. Delayed response. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about which one that was and then saying, oh. Actually, um, I thought there was an extra subtitle coming. So did I. <laughs> so. Uh, is there? No. They've been pretty measured, actually. Good for them. Good Lord, good, Lord. good for them. Um, is this good? I, I yes. really want this to be good. I really like it, and and so I'm gonna. So I'm I'm gonna preface this by saying that like, so it's by uh, Shark Mob. I just wanted to confirm who the developers were. Um, and it, I believe I don't know if Shark Mob are related to, but I think wasn't this originally like a, a CCP thing when they were when they got mm. the World of Darkness thing, and it's and some you know the some. Uh, sorry, loud like motorbike. MMO, I think, didn't they at one point? Um, yes. I MMO for a while. It was yeah. went off for years. I'm not quite sure the kind of journey that IP has been on in the last couple of years, but um, this is um, the, the Battle Royale game. And I will say this straight up. I fully expect this game to pointedly annoy a certain whole uh, a swathe of people. And I'm not going to discount the fact that people very much want a new traditional Vampire the Masquerade RPG. Um, I can sympathize with that. I pretty much agree. Um, 
I think accepting that this is not that is the key to enjoying it. And I have, I did, I was, I was reading about it, reading the reaction to it. Cause it's, it, it's got quite a lot of like in, in the write-ups that I've read about, read already to kind of um, reinforce and confirm my own feelings because I am a coward. Um, a lot of the reaction of the people playing the game has been, oh, it's pretty good. And a lot of the reaction in the comments has been like, this is not our vampire the masquerade, which I think is honestly a really boring point if you accept that different games can mm. exist in the same setting, right? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to kind of call that out just to put it to bed because I imagine, because I honestly, I think saying like, why isn't this more like a single player RPG is pointless and it's better to assess it on its own merits. What it is, is a, um, a battle royale game um, set in the, 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 moonlit streets of Prague um, where you play as either solo or in a group of three um, a group of vampires uh, under the the Camarilla, the masquerade of the Vampire the Masquerade setting um, out in the world to fight each other um, for plot reasons as a a red gas unleashed by the Vatican (laughs) closes in. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. Yep, oh, wow. the Vatican has released its red gas that civilians, normies can't see and don't suffer from, but uh, gradually corralling the the vampires into one place. And the is it plot... really from, from the Vatican? Yeah, it's from well, it's from the entity, which is. Are they announcing like multiple popes at the same <laughs> exactly. time or something? It's 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 yes, it's um. If you get caught in the smoke, you become pope, <laughs> one by one. Exactly, that's a great idea. Um, <laughs> pope night, we'll call it. um uh so yes because the 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 streets are being patrolled by the vatican's like vampire hunting special forces who are simply called the entity and the the story is that effectively like the anarchs who are the vampires that that don't follow the masquerade have kind of broken the masquerade on mass and and so they're, they're kind of like they do want you to be immersed in it and and some of it is that you know when you're playing officially all the vampires that aren't on your team are anarchs and those are the ones that you're hunting and that's the hunt right you're out to hunt them and that's why winning is being the last one's life um and you so the the core of it and the reason it's so and it, in like it's, it's interesting to trace its influences it's definitely um influenced by apex legends it's definitely influenced by um uh warzone to some extent and Fortnite to some extent as well. It's a third-person game with very fast-paced kind of um, like over-the-shoulder gunplay, which is most similar to Fortnite, actually, but it feels substantially kind of chunkier. Frankly, the, the guns and melee weapons feel better than, than Fortnite's, but it's a similar kind of gunplay if you've played Fortnite. I've played quite a lot of Fortnite in the last year. Um, what it mixes into that is um, traversal systems and abilities that bring it a little bit closer to Apex. So you can you're very fast as a vampire, and you can you can do the sort of like crouch slide into leap sort of stuff from Apex. You can also hold the spacebar to scale buildings, so it's a very vertical game, and you're in the streets. So there's quite a lot of um, gunplay across rooftops and then down into street level and through little winding cobblestone tunnels and back out again and that kind of thing. And then on top of that, the kind of vampire you are gives you different powers. It's actually, it sort of, it shakes off the, the orthodoxy a little bit in that you don't have like an alt or anything like that. It's just, you have two powers, one of which is normally either protective or traversal or both. And the other is usually something kind of um, 
the more aggressive or strategic sort of tied to who or what you are. So, um, and the, the traversal power is always linked to the bloodline that you're part of, and then the other power is specific to your class. So, for example, the the Bruja, who are the kind of the big, muscular, tough himbo vampires, can can jump real fucking high in the air. They can just boing, and they're off. Um, off they go, just boinging off somewhere new. Uh, the Nosfestra, uh, uh, Nosfestra, I've completely, fuck me. Just, <laughs> the I, Nosferatu, Nosfestaratu, what the hell was I trying to do then? The Nosferatu um, can uh, turn invisible and move super fast while they're invisible and then pop back into being somewhere else. The, uh, uh, they're the, the, the awful little gremlin uh, <laughs> Nosferatu vampires. Um, the uh, Toreador, who are the sex people, um, can send forward like a beautiful illusion of themselves that they swap places with, which is kind of cool. Um, the uh, Toreador, who are the Tory vampires, which is why Hang they're on. called that. I thought that they were the Toreador, aren't they? Who are the last people you said? Oh, I was talking about the Toreador. Oh, yeah, Ventru. I meant I meant Toreador. Yeah, Toreador are the sex people. Uh, right. Ventru are the Tory vampires. Sorry, yeah, ah, that's yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah, they they can simply turn into marble and become invulnerable to damage for a time while they run around doing what the fuck they want. Hmm. Um, handy. Have I missed anyone? I don't think I have. And then within that, there are these different classes. So like, there's a. Uh, I'm, I'm going to dare myself to say it again. An Osferatu vampire who can place a little like landmine full of like sewer garbage because of course he can. He's a little trash boy. Um, there's a. Uh, a Toreador who can like basically like detonate themselves like a flashbang, um, like because they're so beautiful. Um, there's a there's like a a Bruja that can do like a um, a force shockwave that travels forward as a kind of um, both a damaging and pushing back kind of wall of air that also deflects bullets. It's kind of cool. Um, anyway, you combine all this stuff with loads of like guns and things to pick up and all the kind of vertical mobility. And it works really nicely as a kind of very sort of hmm. fast-paced, hmm. semi-strategic um, uh, action game. And then on top of this, you also have like uh, a few other mechanics. So there are civilians at ground level, and the various civilians will have different kinds of blood based on their kind of like qualities as a person. Um, and these would come in different colors. So you have like a vampire vision thing that you can tap, and it's actually this is their one soul borrowing from Hunt. If you tap the vampire vision mode you suddenly can't see shit but you can see blood civilians basically nearby you can see sound all of a sudden so if you hear gunshots in the distance and you press that you'll see them rippling like roughly where they're coming from and you can see like ammo because for some reason they can smell ammo um <laughs> but it's very helpful when you're in that mode you can see what kind of blood each civilian has and these amount to stacking bonuses so if you get like um i think if um if someone is sanguine by nature, then their blood gives you a uh, heal over time effect that's always on. And if you collect it three times, then you get the maximum bonus. My favorite one is if people are simply men melancholy, they massively increase the, re the cooldown time of your escape ability. I don't know what this means, but like <laughs> if you can if you can eat three depressed people, you become fast as fuck. Like um, you can go near. <laughs> But while you're on the ground, um, you're in danger of breaking the masquerade. So if you use your abilities or you shoot a civilian or anything like that happens, 
it's a masquerade violation, which means that you are then visible through walls for everyone else on the map for a minute, um, which is kind of a nice little touch. It kind of creates these little moments. And then there are little things that play with that. So the Toreadors, because they're sexy, they're, it's much more forgiving for them. They can they can do basically whatever the fuck they like around humans, and the humans uh, love it, whereas it's harder, I think, for the Nosferatu because they are awful-looking sewer men. Um <laughs> Uh, and then, um, and then, yeah, there's these camps for the entity where you can go to get guns and stuff. And then um, a bunch of other mechanics aside, besides, like your the limit on how many of those buffs you can collect is based on it, it has like a hard cap until you start diabolizing um, other players. So if you down a player, you can diabolize them and then turn them in, and then you get points that you can then fill with buffs taken from depressed civilians. It's great. Um, <laughs> And there's a few other little things that I really like about it that create some really fun little moments. So um, unlike any other Battle Royale game I've played, when you are downed, you will get back up after a duration. It's just a timer. Um, oh, right. So, um, I mean, and so and you can either be shot to be you know killed after that point, or you can um, be diabolized, which takes longer where someone picks you up and like pulls all your blood out, basically, with vampire magic. But what that means is downing, rather than the traditional like flow of battle royale where you get downed and then you're waiting for some variable length of time to either tick out or for your friends to come get you in this it puts a lot of pressure on whoever's just downed you to close the gap and make sure you are finished off because you can crawl away quite quickly and if you can crawl away and hide behind some bins you will be back and it actually feels uh, i'm surprised more battle royale games haven't done it that way around because it actually feels way better in some ways like it creates these like moments where you can get a lucky snipe off and knock someone down off a roof miles away. But if you don't close with them or you're not convinced that they're in like real danger or they're not in the gas or something like that, then you, you basically haven't confirmed the kill. And I find that like creates this nice back and forth. And it can create some really nice moments, particularly playing solo, which is how I've mostly played it, where you get downed, someone ambushes you. They come along and begin to diabolize you. They get shot, which breaks them out of that animation. They get in a fight with the person that's just shot them you crawl off into some bushes those two people fight each other and then they're both low on health you pop back out of the bushes and kill them both and it's it feels really like that oh, is fun. a that's a fun loop like it's a it's yeah it's a fun loop for you know assessing it as a battle royale game a really good episode of buffy just yeah <laughs> as a, you know, <laughs> exactly. yeah exactly um what else can you do um you can you can do extensive dress up there's like character customization for each of the classes. It's not like characters in that way. It's not like you're, you know, James the Toreador. Look at you go. It's like you just create your own people. You can give a, a, a Nosferatu hair, which looks very funny for some reason. <laughs> Normal hair. Um, and then there's lots of like cosmetics and things to playing kind of, you know, sexy goth dress up basically which is, i assume you can yeah. mix and match for the teams you don't have to be one clan no you, you you absolutely can yeah you can mix and match on the team and actually when when um a uh, friend of pod paul Canavan and i have been playing it um because <clears throat> we're, we're two but it is trios it we've always been like because i mostly play as either the uh, a ventry lady or a toreador lady and he often plays as toreador as well and so it'll just be two extremely severe looking women. But I think the real meta class at the moment is one of the Nosferatu like prowlers. And so it will often be like two very severe looking vampire women and this little gremlin boy, <laughs> which is, which is a vibe, a vibe that I relate to painfully. Um, and, um, 
uh, it's been a lot of fun, um, particularly because some of the cosmetics are locked to particular clans because they are all animated differently. They move differently to each other. So you can tell what they are, you know, um, the best thing is they all feed differently, which is really nice. Um, they have different like animations for feeding, um, which are very characterful. Quite enjoy them. Um, but, um, but yeah, the, um, but some of the cosmetics are, are universal, including this sort of quite sort of like, I've just been dropped off at my first school disco um, waistcoat uh, and tie combo that apparently all the Nosferatu wear. So, <laughs> so yeah, they look like they're trying, bless their little socks. So I love the idea that they've incorporated so much of the actual sort of lore and, you know, mm. um, uh, the different classes, but also the masquerade itself as, as into a battle royale format. I think that's, that's a super cool thing to achieve. Yeah, it doesn't really feel like it's it's not quite the full fantasy of the masquerade as in like we're passing among humans living their lives, but actually I'm super hot, which is always <laughs> the fantasy of the masquerade, right? That's true. That's true. <laughs> like, um, um, because the humans are just sort of stood around on street corners, like going like, mm, well, it's quiet tonight in Prague. Oh fuck! Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like very occasionally, like because you heal by either feeding on civilians, feeding on players, or down in a blood bag um neck in a blood bag um so occasionally you'll be in the middle of a firefight and you'll just need to find a civilian and they will flee from gunshots and stuff like that which can be fun but like you know the experience of being a civilian in this vampire the masquerade isn't like i was seduced by a pale stranger in the club it's like a man fell out of the sky did a roly-poly on the ground ate my blood and then boinged back up off on the roof <laughs> like to continue his ak-47 gunfight um <laughs> It's a few of the nice things I like. One is that um, particular the drops are kind of randomly scattered, as is typical in a battle royale. But certain kinds of drops are familiarly found in certain places. So there are like police fans. If you open the back of the police fans, you usually got armor. There are ambulances. You can break into pharmacies and tailors' shops and other places and be fairly secure in what you're going to find there. Um, inexplicably, tailors have guns and antique shops have melee weapons. Who knows? Who knows? Um, the antique shop one is funny because it has like five chests in it that you can open and they're guaranteed to almost certainly contain a melee weapon. But the only ones that would qualify as antiques are the rare melee weapons, which are like these paired vampire swords or a katana. Most of the melee weapons are either a bat with a nail in it or a fire axe. So ah, yes. a lot of the antique shops are inexplicably full of just like bats with nails in. Um, but yeah, um, I'm trying to think what else to say. It is. It does have like some issues and naturally like it's not obviously many i mean if you don't like battle royale i wouldn't play it um and it can be and i think if particularly like you you know as a third person battle royale it inherits all of the weird things that were weird about um pubg in third person and all of the things that are just weird about fortnite generally apart from building which is that like peaking is real weird it's got really wide field of view because how how um vertical it is um, which is necessary, but it also means that like peeking is often the case of just like being on one side of a roof from somebody and just looking over that roof without ever being seen yourself. And so there's some funniness there. It actually does get around it with interesting weapons like crossbows that have like gas bolts and stuff like that to flush people out, but it is a thing. The other thing is it's got a lot of like padding stuff, like a central like hangout area, like called the Vampire Island Elysium, so like a vampire sanctuary where you can talk to NPCs and get these quests that you then do in the actual matches, but they don't give you anything other than law text. And there seems to be no point to them. And it's not, they're not like onerous, but it feels like the systems aren't quite connected up. You know, it feels mm. quite kind of spare in that way. And I think it would be a more special thing if 
doing those felt like they were meaningfully progressing something. Whereas the only thing I care about really is getting up the battle pass because I want the cool clothes. <laughs> but I haven't really enjoying it. It's 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 kind of absorbed way more in my time than I thought it would. Um, do you know what the they're last... gonna do with it? Are they gonna do like you know the the seasonal season pass stuff and? evolve yeah. the game over time or it's or got a battle pass currently so I, I got it and like it literally like when you load up at the moment it's like season one so i'm assuming that's the plan yeah and it's it does seem like there's going to be some narrative about what's gone wrong in prague and why is it like this but um i don't like that stuff doesn't feel super convincing to me yet but i am really enjoying it as a, a kind of knockabout game and it helps a lot that i i like the theme and i think to, to bring this full circle and bring it to a close like i think Obviously, it's not the Vampire the Masquerade game that people in comments want, and that's fine. But it's also like, and and it's not. It doesn't feel to me like Vampire the Masquerade in the sense that the books feel, or even the RPGs, because it's a fast-paced battle royale game. However, I do think it benefits from having like an interesting visual theme. Um, it's a great-looking nighttime, which is not always the case in games, mm-hmm. and um, I think like. And obviously, I do love vampires a lot. So I'm drawn to it because I get to be a cool vampire man or woman. Not Whereas if, if it was the same game with a different theme, maybe I would care less. Um, but, you know, I think uh, I think it's pretty good, to be honest. I would happily give it a seven and a half, probably. <laughs> cool. We'll have to see if there's a uh, a time zone which works for us because I'd love to. Yeah, I'd play with you. Um, the the only thing I would add is actually my final complaint is I think <clears throat> all games should have duos modes. I think one and three are awkward team numbers mm-hmm. um, because that means that I'm either playing by myself or because I tend to play games with one other friend most of the time. Um, it's a case of trying to find um, you know find out what the random is going to do, and um, sometimes they're nice and sometimes they fuck off and die. And that's the way it thinks. <laughs> the little silly little Nosferatu man just bounces off, and yeah. <laughs> I really, um, it sounds great. Uh, I also really like the idea that it sort of keeps um, that universe sort of in people's imaginations for the you know as a potential springboard mm. for other games of different formats and different genres as well. Yeah, because it's such a rich uh, fantasy, and you know, uh, I did enjoy the original RPGs, even though they were totally broken <laughs> right the first yeah. one was yeah yeah i'd like to see them do some more with the formula i think it, it, it's the it would support a sort of extraction type mode like hunt really well i think mm. um maybe even more so than just have a huge fight but yeah good foundations i think what have you been up to tom i've been playing a rather marvelous action rpg mm. one of my favorite genres of course i love diablo a lot um this one is one of very much of a different sort of pace and tone and it's called nobody saves the world uh it's from drinkbox studios who made guacamole mm. uh, which i think was a side-scrolling beat-em-up type thing uh, i didn't actually play it but uh just based on what i've heard about it uh, this is actually uh a top-down punch loads of monsters uh get new skills and then level up type deal except um for me it sort of uh, embodies some of the most exciting aspects of the genre and presents it in a super accessible way that I think is actually gonna is great for the action RPG and I would love to see more games like this that kind of take a really playful approach um, so think about Diablo uh, think of the kind of 
irritated people about Diablo 3, lots of sort of like, you know, hardcore fans of the series, was that uh, there weren't like skill trees in a very sort of defined way. You didn't have to sort of like put a huge sort of sunk cost into developing your developing your character. You could uh, swap in loads of different skills and sort of make a build that was just kind of fun and then grind as you wanted to uh, in any area that you wanted to and have like little adventure mode, mini adventures to grind stuff. Um, and that was kind of like a bit of a sort of a uh, shift of pace for the genre because uh, typically action RPGs are all about putting 20 to 50 hours to 100 hours into your one amazing character, getting the best loot in the game, and then being able to sort of just do a boss in 60 seconds uh, at the highest difficulty level. That's kind of was the sort of baked in uh, fantasy of the action RPG. Whereas the really refreshing thing about Nobody Saves the World is that you unlock classes and you can immediately become them at any moment. So you start out as a little kind of bold, naked, eyeless dude who is completely useless. Um, and then you learn how to become a rat. And the first room or second room in the game is like, oh, he, he, you can become a rat. And suddenly actually, oh, all those little kind of pathways in the environment, I can actually go through those now. Uh, and also the rat's chomp ability is super much like way better than the naked dude's slap ability. So I was going to be a rat for a bit. And then you unlock uh, like uh, the knight. And you're like, oh, this is, this is the guy, right? He's the knight. He's going to be great. And he's, he's kind of a bit slow and plodding. And you realize actually that maybe the rat's better because the rat attacks really quickly and you can layer on status effects on any character, that uh, just passive effects. So if you layer poison onto the rat... And with every bite, uh, every little nippy does, it adds two poison. Then you're going to grok that status effect super fast compared to the knight who can only hit it like three times but every two seconds or whatever. Um, the, the great thing about the game is that you can then start mixing and matching each character's abilities. Ooh. So um, I unlocked a turtle. Just a, a tiny, he's like five pixels wide or something. And he's super rubbish and crap on, on land, uh, but incredibly fast on any sort of lake or river. Uh, but he also has like a, a spit attack that's kind of like a, a sort of close range shotgun ability. But then the game lets you give that to the knight. And actually, when the knight does that and it combines with his passive abilities, suddenly it's like super powerful. And then you've got the archer and she's got like a flurry blast ability. And you can give any of those abilities to any other character. And there are like cool. many characters that you can unlock as you go through, uh, from like zombies through to you know, uh, one of the characters. I'll just spoil this one. Is an is an egg. <laughs> um, Son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm I, I'm aware that I'm on some sort of birth quest for this egg across the game, uh, and its ability, its fundamental ability, the one that's really useful is that it can uh, gestate, it can sort of sit there and a little heat, heat lamp <laughs> appears over it and it heals you. But you could give that to any other character. So it's like, oh, wow, I've got a, suddenly I've got a really good heal ability. I'll give that to the rat. The rat could have a little lamp appear over him and uh, be warmed up and feel you know healed by it. Um, but fundamentally, the egg's primary purpose, uh, at least in the as far as I've gone through the game so far, is to roll into uh, absent nests and to be sat on by giant chickens. <laughs> And each time a chicken sits on your egg, your egg levels up and it cracks a little bit more. And 
I was like, oh, you've built a quest. There's, like, that's that's going to hatch into something awesome. I just know it. But even if it doesn't, just uh, it, it, be able to port the eggs ability onto my rat <laughs> or my, my archer or my knight or my zombie, uh, which is another great class where uh, uh, the, the health constantly drains, but you have to, so you have to keep attacking stuff in order to get your health back. But stuff you bite also turns into zombies, so you can absolutely just trash a dungeon um by just biting like three things and then getting this sort of like um these exponential gains on the amount of summons that you're getting it's so much fun um i would say that it's like it's a slow start for if you really enjoy action rpgs and you're kind of like played them for a long time but i think games like this can rescue genres honestly like i think games like this can actually introduce people to an action rpg without any of the baggage and just have it be a really fun kind of cartoon lovely bright world uh really fun experience but really kind of genuinely exciting experimental mechanics at the same time uh, i'm completely taken by it i love it i think it's brilliant that sounds really good i really like the idea of mixing and matching the the different abilities is that as, as simple as like as soon as you've unlocked the turtle or whatever you just drag his special ability onto another class or how does it work yeah basically that um so uh yeah so it takes a while to unlock each kind of character's empty slots but you can port anything into those slots. That each character has a fundamental kind of passive ability and a fundamental attack um, that will do a certain thing. But um, that each character will unlock three other slots that you can just shift anything into. Oh wow! So you can actually kind of stack lots of abilities from a bunch of different characters onto the same. I, I don't think you could duplicate, but you can definitely. But they 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 synergize in loads of interesting ways, um, and oh. especially because like some of the fundamental attacks. Um, so. Uh, the knight's fundamental attack might just be much better at knockback, for example, and that might stack really well with a different uh, ability that you unlock way later in the uh, uh, from a different character. Uh, so it's this constant experimentation, and also um, the enemies they get increasingly complex as the game goes on, and uh, it does a really good job of onboarding all this stuff. Uh, it takes a long time to happen, but I think it's actually really valuable for the type of game it is and the appeal I think it wants to have. Um, but there are sort of um, there are enemies that have certain like elemental shields. Um, so you, so for example, for a certain dungeon, it'll be like, oh, this has this element, and I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna turn my rat into the this anti this element. I'm gonna every, all my abilities are just gonna destroy the shields they have um, for this one particular dungeon, and because the the actual sort of uh, act of switching in and out abilities across characters is super super instantaneous. Like it's really easy to do in the menus. Um, so this idea of kind of grinding up through skill trees and really gradually kind of unlocking abilities that you then have to stick to for hours is just gone in this game. Um, it's just purely just, you found a new cool thing, now put it wherever you want. Um, and that's that's just like the freedom is, is exhilarating really uh, for, for a genre like this where it's like things like Dablo and you know Titan Quest and uh, Path of Exile, that they're so staid and they're so like socketing gems in order to you know uh, mm. in increase small you know amounts of crit damage percentage, and this is just like no, just like um, yeah, your turtle can do a puke, put it on your app, it's good. <laughs> 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 it's really good. I wonder how they designed it. Whether they designed the classes as they currently are uh, first, and then worked out synergies, or whether they designed amazing classes then disassembled them and give gave their abilities to other people i don't know i think uh, so you can play it in co-op but i think when it's um it you know it's uh, just you and a friend and there isn't a kind of multiplayer element or like a kind of online leaderable element 
it's okay for your for you to let your players break the game if it's yeah. really fun. Um, and I haven't like I've not found any stuff that's by any means like completely game breaking. But even if there was one, it would feel great to find it and to it, like there's no it doesn't harm the game. I don't think at a certain point it, it has to. Have, I think these games have to have a certain degree of integrity in terms of challenge to an extent and uh, actually kind of rewarding you for finding cool skill combinations and for uh, addressing the challenges of particular, you know, elemental shields and that kind of stuff. But beyond that, I kind of think let players break it. Like, if it's fun, like, why not? Yeah. Is the, are the, are the kind of classes and the skill matching stuff, is that the, the kind of, is that the extent of the progression slash collecting side of things because or is there like a loot element as well sorry if you mentioned that already it's just something that wasn't uh no no uh they're really i think there's a very light itemization in this i don't think that's actually like much equipping your characters at all it's purely actually skill based now you mentioned it right um and uh you're gated by the number of stars that you acquire and you acquire stars by beating dungeons um and for you know uh, completing incremental challenges that teach you how to play the game, like kill 100 enemies with this element, for example, um, right. and that's it's not gated based on traditional XP bars. It's gated on actually much more understandable language, I would say, like just mm. you know numerical language in terms of oh, I need 40 stars to get into this castle and then get to the next bit. So uh, it's Mario star, right? I'll just go and oh, collect all these stars by doing these challenges and then be able to progress instead of being like, um, Oh, I've got a million skill, you know, XP points to earn and I won't be able to access any new fun until I've, you know, conquered that. that, Farm that out. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so it's, it's very much reducing farming to a minimum and like promoting like relatively quick progression for the genre and also experimentation before all of that stuff. Uh, yeah, it's just in on, in a ways of like your sort of um, games, just like game design philosophy thing. I, I really, really like what it's trying to do, um, and would like to see it promoted uh, across more <laughs> uh, similar games. Awesome. When did that come out? I just, I mean, I, cause okay. I don't think I heard about it. it was a couple uh, months ago, January, I think. Oh, and it's on... it seems to have done very, very well. Looking at the number of Steam reviews. So, uh, oh shit! So Windows, so Xbox them. One, uh, Switch as well, PS4 and PS5. So if you have any of those things, uh, it's also it's not even that expensive as well. So if you wanted to like wishlist it and pick it up in a sale or whatever, it's, it's going to be a few quid in like by the end of the year. That's a terrible thing to say about a game I want to do well. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's not like a full price game as well. It's, so if you're kind of curious about action RPGs, I would say this is sort of the most fun and accessible um, and just amusing one that you could pick up uh, before any others at the moment. Awesome. That's very cool. cool. Like the, the, the sort of mixing and matching abilities and trying to break the game thing kind of put me of mind of like the, the well the deck building games that everyone has been obsessed with for years right like the things that people love about say the spire or oh, yeah. monster train stuff like that where so it's applying that to a sort of level based as in stage based um dungeon crawler it makes total sense thinking about yeah it. i think uh the the only uh, i think some of the dungeons are too long uh so they have sort of incidental dungeons that are like several levels uh, and actually, the game's far more fun when it's just like 
almost just one or two levels of dungeon that you just breeze through with your chosen build and then like woo got a star hooray um but i, I can't find much criticized about it at the moment um i'm about two, two thirds of the way through it i think so unless it might be sort of horrendous difficulty spikes and it might suddenly restrict all your choices i doubt it's going to do that it's just not mm -hmm. the way the game's built sounds very cool i like I it i don't know if i love the art style but i think it's, it's quite uh, I, I like it i think but hmm. i like it for breaking away from what trad yeah uh, uh, trad arpgs look like and that it's not it's getting as far away from dungeons and dragons as possible <laughs> basically as a as a mission that, to be fair it's 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 moved away from traditional Dungeons and Dragons towards what everyone's Dungeons and Dragons parties are actually like. <laughs> it's like I'm a normal man. I'm an egg. I'm a rat. <laughs> yeah, and if you notice from any of the artwork, um, uh, there's a, a slightly disturbing element to it in that so the main little naked dude, nobody, who is kind of the core character, um, has no eyes. Therefore, everything that he appropriates and becomes has no eyes. Is that, eyeless, is that, eyeless is that, the, is that the reverse Kirby? <laughs> I mean, you might be right. I do want to be a little turtle who shoots arrows like an Uzi, though. That oh, good. that is a thing you could do. Oh, there's good horse as well. Yeah, the horse. The, the trailer has the horse uh, farting a huge plume of uh, green gas everywhere he goes. Yeah, that's not the horse's default ability. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> I think that might be the zombie one. But uh, yeah, that, uh, the horse is um, great. It's got a charge ability. And again, it sort of hits at an incredibly high rate. So if you want to poison something, there's there's literally an achievement for poisoning 100 things in a minute <laughs> because you just barge through them and everything just turns to a puddle. It's fantastic. <laughs> Very good stuff. So what's it, uh, without, if it's not too much of a spoiler, is there a, a, a mega combo, like a, a, a super combination of synergies that you, you think is awesome? Uh, I haven't found it. I'm obsessed, but I, I feel as though... The turtle vom squirt thing has huge potential, so it's on it's on the, my sort of like mental checklist of things to combo with other stuff. It sounded um, like an Activision earnings call for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Is that between that and the horses dash? I think if you can squirt and dash at the same time and <laughs> chain that with some uh, very good cumulative effects, I think I think there's there's something there. The Fisher Price squirt and dash. It's a squirt and dash horse. Uh, Marsh, <laughs> what have you been playing? <laughs> uh, I've been playing Weird West, which I believe Chris has also played. I have also oh, played Weird West, yeah. It's a, it's a game from the new studio. I think, are they called Wolfie? I think they're called Wolfie. It's, uh, it's the studio that's been spun up by uh, Raf Colantonio, who is one of the founders of Arcane, which is a studio responsible for you know many of the immersive sims beloved by us and our podcast listeners. Um and a man once famous for denouncing the press as sneak fucks. Press uh, sneak fucks, yeah. Completely accurately. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Can't feel hurt by it. It's true. Um, but I, yeah, the, the pitch of this, I think, is kind of incredibly uh, appealing to me. Like, it's meshing that sort of the, that massive reactivity of the immersive sim with uh, sort of pseudo-isometric fallout one style presentation and it's got this western inspired setting it's full of dusty plains and red rocks but you know that setting has been corrupted by terrible magic um i you know I, when i first saw it i thought oh dishonored meets desperados oh yes please but it isn't dishonored meets desperados 
and to what it is, I say, hmm, maybe no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, I, it is more like, I, I suppose, like, I don't know, Fallout 1 meets Teleglitch, I think would be maybe mm. a more appropriate combination if you're being super generous. Um, I think judging but judging by its critical response and, and the, the Steam reviews, people have been super generous to it. I think I've personally struggled with it a lot. Um, I don't think it's like aspirations to RPG. Uh, they, they've, they land well for me. It feels very cursory. Like, yeah, and I, I'm all for like lightness of touch in this stuff, but the dialogue is meted out with such terseness and there's such sparse detail that I've found almost no way to be invested in this world. Um, and it, like the game opens after like it's got this like mystical preamble which lasts like two seconds or something, and then it cuts to uh, your kid being shot dead in front of you and your husband being kidnapped, and like that should be, you know, a crude motivational moment, but it is so rudimentary in its presentation, and it's just so uninterested in 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 the impact of that. Like your character doesn't speak. And there's just no commentary about what has happened, but the weight of it just doesn't land in the slightest, I found. And like I felt like that's how it goes throughout. And I feel bad saying that because there's so much work that's been done into accommodating the player's agency here. And the, like it the loading screens boast that you know you can kill basically any story character and the storyline will adapt. But it, it just sort of turns out that I don't want to kill <laughs> every story character at any mm. point. What I want is to be persuaded by the drama of whatever situation I face. And actually, it doesn't matter to me if there's really only one option. If that one option is presented in a way which I find convincing for the course of action that my character might take. But like this Weird West is so bare bones that it can provide you with all these different outcomes. But really, I don't find that any of them feel like they mean anything to me, which is a shame because there's loads of good stuff in there as well. Like there's lots of colorful details like it's broken up into these episodes where you play different characters in each episode and the second episode uh begins with you taking on this character uh who has just been turned into a pig man by a witch and not only have you been turned into a pig man the witch has then tried to feed your soul to uh a suicidal magic tree (laughs) which is you know it sounds really um sounds really i mean it's very relevant to my interests as somebody who's written (laughs) literally a horror game about hogmen uh, but it just, but it just like in the time I've taken to explain it, that's how much time it's given in the in the game as well. And it's mm. just like there's no proper expression of these things, and like, just I, sorry, I'll I'll let Chris chime in in a second. But like, one of the first things you do as a pigman is to try and find uh, someone in a human town who has like information about your pre-pigman past. Uh, and obviously, because you are a, a, a horrible mutant hogman, you're not welcome in the human town. And you think, wow, I, I, God, finally, this is going to be this is going to be a great setup for some really interesting interactions with people. Uh, but instead, you just sort of scoot up the side of the map. You find the character. Uh, it takes two lines of dialogue uh, for her to be on board. She gives you your next quest and you leave. Uh, and it's, that's it. It's, it feels really just like that entire idea has been thrown away. And it's, I, I found it very disappointing. And there's lots of other problems too, but we'll get to them after Chris has had his say. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, so I don't, I don't disagree with anything you said. I find it really fascinating because there's a lot that I really admire about it. There's a few other things I wanted to call out. Like uh, it has this commitment to, and I think it's a, it's a fascinating problem that it's approaching where it wants to give you 
a ton of agency. So in addition to, you know, that, that sort of kill any character thing is, is the flagship thing. It's also some sort of emergent stuff like sort of time passes as you play, it's travel time between nodes on the map and so on. And, you know, it's reactive in the sense that if you wipe out a little town, um, the next time you go there, maybe it's full of bandits now. Or if you wipe out the bandits, maybe the town's people have come back and they've rebuilt and there are newspapers in the game that react to your actions. You can take on bounties and as the first character and go and kill those bounties. And in doing so, you change the balance of powers of various factions, all of this really deep reactive stuff, the simulationist stuff that people often want from these games, which is really cool in principle. And then there are systems layered on top of that. Like if you save particular characters, um, people will like you and they'll have a chance. Those characters might have a chance to show up during other gunfights to, to bail you out and, and kind of chat to you momentarily afterwards in a super cursory way, just to be like, hey. And and it does some work to try and make sure you're seeing the consequences of your actions. Like when someone does show up to bail you out of a fight, it will say like, Marsh has shown up because you cleaned his fridge. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then, or whatever. And then, then they'll, you know, probably die. Um, similarly, like if you <clears throat> kill an NPC that's related to a different NPC, the other NPC can swear a vendetta at you. Um, sort of like Shadow of Mordor style and then just show up randomly to shoot at you another time. All of this stuff. And and I really I admire this stuff because I think it's a it's a worthy goal to create these mm. reactive uh, player reactive systems that um should should hypothetically generate interesting moments. Um similarly, the game has um some simulationist heft to it. Like it, the game the other game that reminds me of is Divinity, actually, because yeah. only in the sense that it's largely about barrels, right? Like <laughs> games that are actually about barrels with things in them. So like this one's full of oil, therefore you can create an oil slick which will become flammable, which you could you know you could shoot a lantern into and that would catch set people on fire. Um stuff can break and so on and all of the kind of like um, systemic stuff that you'd expect. Um, but, and I think it's, and, and, you know, I think it's impossible to look at something without being aware of also the scope of the production as a kind of, you know, a, a production of modest scope, why it therefore makes sense to go for this isometric perspective. If you, you know, because rendering that level of interactivity and environmental interactivity in a, in a sort of full 3d, like dishonored style, first person environment, super, super time consuming. Um, but, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with this particular point, none of that stuff, I, I think that stuff rewards or enhances investment. I'm not sure it can create investment. Mm. And I think that's where the game struggles. Um, where like I, I have, I've, I breezed through the first character story without realizing I was progressing at the clip that I was, um, and initially I had that, as I became the pig man, I had that flurry of like, oh shit, I kind of want to, there's some things I wanted to do. And then I realized, no, there isn't. I feel like <laughs> I, I feel like I meaningfully used every verb I could use as that character pretty much. And I, and I wasn't really interested to see the kind of cascading systemic potential of any of it, because, you know, for as much as, um, people in this pod business talk about grenades rolling down a hill every now and then, really that story was in the same way. Right. Mm. Um, the funniest systemic thing that has happened to me in this game is also indicative of, I think it's jank, which is um, uh, the first character can get the ability, I think any character can get the ability to fire a silenced shot with a rifle, which you can use to kind of snipe, you know, guards and stuff. Um, I used this to snipe a guard who was sitting down in a chair facing away from me. 
Um, and as far as the the UI was concerned, I had the you know the gun lined up on the back of this guy's head. I shot him. It hit the chair. The chair broke as a prop. The man continued to sit in just in sort of like midair for a couple of seconds, and then stood up. Then fell forward, headbutted a flaming torch, caught fire, ran screaming, and alerted the rest of the base. Um, uh, and I was like, uh, "Yep, drama." I, I, I have a question. I have a question. I, I've not played this one, um, yep. but I did wonder if I'm if I go into it um, just being prepared to not have any emotional engagement with it whatsoever. Is it still fun to poke the system? It kind mm. kinda. And the reason I would say <laughs> this is because. It is also so the the and I think maybe we buried a lead here, which is the controls are real weird, and I think what I would say about it is I think there's a desire that this be an action game because fundamentally it's it's controlled with WASD and a mouse. It controls more like a twin stick shooter than than anything else really. But it's, hence the mm-hmm. Tyler glitch comparison. Um, but it's like WASD plus shift to raise your gun plus alt to change weapons plus control plus number keys for abilities that are context dependent based on the gun you're holding and whether you're aiming it or not plus regular non-gun related abilities and it doesn't sound like a lot but it's too much for a game that doesn't like have which has tons of completely bananas systemic chaos happening as soon as gunfight breaks out like you can you can stealth and you can hide bodies and do all that sort of stuff you can open windows and shimmy into buildings and it's fairly freeform it's got a lot of good bones for this kind of thing but really all of your preparation is just a precursor to you fire a gun and you're in shit show town and like anything can fucking happen because stuff is constantly catching fire exploding npcs are accidentally shooting each other drawing in other npcs that weren't involved like I, NPCs just run hither and thither without yeah, any obvious reason. Right. It's it is just an absolute mess. The AI is completely all over the place. It's a total mess. Yeah, like you start a you start like um there's a there's a mission maybe it's halfway through and it will be a spoiler but like you you basically you got to get you got to rescue someone from these bandits that have taken over the town. They've holed up in in the bank and they own the bank, but the town is otherwise operational and you're not it's not hostile to you when you walk in. And there's a few different things you can do to get access to that building while talking to different NPCs. It's cool. It's an open-ended scenario. You'd also just break in, you climb in through a window, you can do anything. I did a particular thing that meant that the boss wanted to see me, which let me walk in. And then my decision was I just walked in rather than bother with the conversation, just use my fanfire ability to fire all six rounds of my revolver into the boss straight away and start this huge fight. Uh, at which I'm in a two-story building, at which point every NPC, every NPC in the map is running up and down every staircase all the time. <laughs> like <laughs> in like all syndicate. circumstances yeah, yeah exactly it's just full on like you've you've literally it's like yeah it is actually it's like kicking the hornet's nest right like right. it's just activity and i remember that time because killing the bandit boss got me 10 renown like i'm an even more renowned bounty hunter now because i've killed them and i've got my own posse with me and we're in this tense gunfight but it's not really a tense gunfight because we, we're not really taking cover or like you know taking advantage of the fact that we infiltrated their most secure position because my my allies are just running off wherever the fuck. Everyone's running off wherever the fuck. I'm just shooting anything red until it stops. <laughs> At one point, while well, just stood on a balcony shooting ran- NPCs as they run randomly in different directions, I accidentally shot a lantern that set fire to the porch of the local uh, post office. And because of this, I got um, 
I got knocked down for vandalism and lost 10 renown. So the <laughs> amount of renown I gained for infiltrating and gunning down the evil bandit lord in cold blood, uh, I lost for doing some minor vandalism during the ensuing gunfight. <laughs> and, and, so I, and so I did what you always do in these moments, and you quick load. And the game even encourages you to quick save. It encourages you to save scum because it feels like that kind of game. You get into these scenarios, you sort of tee them up, and then you run them a few times with quick load the ready just to kind of see what happens. And the moment you get an outcome that you feel is kind of favorable and felt cool, you move on. And that's really- Does it load yeah. quickly enough for you, Chris? Yes, it takes fast long for me. For me. Yeah. I've got it it's all an SSD though, so maybe that helps. I do, I have it on SSD as well. It's it not, just, it's, it, yeah. It's, it, it's not super long, but it's long enough to feel onerous when you are uh, reloading a, a thing that's going to end in a clusterfuck every, every time. <laughs> it is. I mean, it is weirdly like a gunfight in Hunt Showdown, I will say that. It's just a total clusterfuck and everyone's on fire for some reason. Well, I don't know that it's even that fun. There's no, no. I, I don't find that there's any kind of possibility for intentionality in these gunfights. Yeah. Like, I mean, you mentioned the lanterns. Uh, uh, lanterns are situated often um, on the roof of mine shafts that you're going down. And there is no vertical aim. So you can't control what thing you're shooting at, uh, whether you're shooting at the lantern or you're shooting at the man below it. And often it'll lock on and shoot the lantern instead of the man. Uh, and you don't have any say about that. And not only do you not have any say about it, the lantern and the thing it is attached to is invisible uh, because it is between the camera and the action. Mm. And the game, like, I'd, I'd be really interested to know if it was always designed as a twin stick shooter yeah. because it doesn't feel like any of those environments or indeed the kind of ways in which they're presented are natural to that genre. There's loads, of, the, the camera is not, helpful in describing what's around you and there's loads of problems with how it calculates what to make transparent uh i've emptied a clip into an, a visible tree uh before because it was between the camera's point of view and an opponent and like, that just doesn't that, that just, just shouldn't ever yeah. happen is there any sort of like pause function like divinity gets around it in, the, in that way by just like there, pause and rotate no but there is a slow-mo max pain style dive so uh, if you're willing to max pain dive everywhere, you can slow I, the game. I am. I am willing. <laughs> it doesn't last quite long enough, mm. um, uh, is my feeling. And then as soon as as soon as it's over, you're just back in the fray. And, you and it's also to... limited by mana as well. So, mm. I mean, cowboy oh. mana, whatever cool. that is. <laughs> cool. Be beans. Like, um, I think it's kind of telling that Company of Heroes 3 is as pause as they're kind of like, mm. um, they've acknowledged the fact there's just sometimes too much going on across the whole battlefield and some players would rather pause and actually think about what they're doing. And that's kind of, seems even more important for these sort of chaotic environments. I think Divinity sounds like a really good comparison. Yeah. Um, it sounds like this game's kind of bad though. <laughs> <laughs> I think I it's... mean, the, the, the problem is that the stealth doesn't really work either. I, I think, I mean, it's hard to know what is uh, like... A, a poor um, combination of uh, systems not meshing together, you know, different design aspirations not sitting well together and what is just glitchiness that will be mm. addressed over time. But like there's loads of problems with the way that stealth uh, works. And part of that is just the inconsistency in the way the way its rules operate. So like if you're visible, but at some distance away, a guard uh, that can see you will have a little question mark appear over his head and that alert state will begin to fill up until he goes aggro. Um, but sometimes they will just carry on on their current route 
And sometimes they will see you and immediately divert from their route and investigate, but not go full aggro. I don't know why it does that sometimes and why it doesn't do it other times. And if you're holding a body, regardless of the distance that you're at, they will come running over, uh, but not go full aggro. They'll just, they will always come running over, even if they've glimpsed you for like a millisecond from way across the screen. And sometimes bodies you're carrying literally over your shoulder can be visible even when you aren't. So you can be holding a body slung over your shoulder, crouched in a bush with a stealth icon above you, and the entire criminal gang will come rushing over to look at the body of their fallen comrade, but not be able to see you holding it. And then they'll go, ah, it was probably nothing. <laughs> they'll cycle out of their alert state uh, and, and just go be, back to whatever they're doing. To be clear, the, the body isn't just going, help, or anything like that. Like, right, <laughs> no, they're actually still okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. it's, uh, I mean, bodies that you, you um, search the inventory of become visible, even if they have been previously hidden. So you have to pick them up and drop them again in the same spot. What? Um, there's other things like... Uh, there's, there don't seem to be animations for transitions between sitting states or resting states. So NPCs will just pop into a chair or pop out of a chair instantly at a range of like a meter or more, meaning that you can't predict when they will pop out of the chair and start facing you, which is a problem yeah. in stealth. Mm. <laughs> or if they'll pop into a chair as you go to grab them and they're out of range. You also can't grab someone from a chair, so... And yeah. if you're holding a body and you save and quick load, that body vanishes along with any mission critical keys they might be carrying. So like, I, you know, okay, yeah. these, these are problems with the game. I, I think a lot of them are just bugs and they could be easily addressed, but you don't know for sure that they will be. And I don't really feel like even if they were, that the game would feel like super robust. <laughs> it's got that creaky feeling of something that's been built by people who were like for the first time encountering the design challenges of the thing that they were aiming for. So like, for example, you have AI companions and these companions chitter and chatter all the time in, in text dialog boxes, which are presented often because they're following after your character in the center of the screen, obscuring you and everything you're doing. And that feels like <laughs> just an unforced error, you know? Stop telling me uh, about the weather, Marsh. I can't see. <laughs> My boots are full of muck, he says for the 800th time in this level. <laughs> Damn, it's and hot. <laughs> but so, it is genuinely a relief when one of those MPs just stands next to you in a fire and burns to death because <laughs> at least you don't have to listen to them uh, and you, at least you can see which inventory you're trying to look at I think, yeah. I'll, I think I'll skip this one it, does, it sounds like even time in the oven will be a long time it's, it's an interesting one because I think there's like it's, it has also been interesting kind of consuming the positive things because I've had moments that I've had these glimmers of like this feels cool like Early mission to early bounty hunting mission. I took, uh, you know, figured out that the target was just sort of in a little shed, basically like cabin in the center of a compound. And I stuck into the compound, you know, took out a few of the guards, just enough to, between me and the thing, you know, slid open a window, threw two sticks of dynamite in, and fucking booked it. And that was the mission complete. And that feels cool when you pull off something like that. And it's a little scheme, and you've done it yourself. The Hitman mm -hmm. thing, the Far Cry thing, that's yeah. you know, that's it's there, but. Me telling that story is also is also me, you know, uh, eliding the fact that on my way out, every NPC in the area, just like half of them went to investigate and started burning in the fire and then ran around in circles and fell over. And and I think it is it's the thing I find interesting about this to kind of zoom out from the game a little bit, something you can't do enough in the game, I will say, um, is that it's it's sometimes hard to 
it's almost it's it's an odd thing to criticize a game which very clearly has like noble or very ambitious design intentions, right? So many of its things, some of its big ideas are in defiance of genre orthodoxy for open world action games or open world RPGs in terms of really leaning hard into not saying no to the player in terms of, you know, what you can do in, in, in many ways. But honestly, the thing I kind of challenge about it is like, does that lead to fun or investment to the player? And I have like, I've had an okay time with it. I did feel compelled to go back. Like, and I, I think I want to keep playing because I do think the world is, is pretty, I think the world itself is, is pretty compelling. Like I like the character designs and I like the kind of the, the various sort of, you know, kind of um, uh, horror elements mixed in and the various kind yeah. of supernatural elements mixed in. I kind of want to know more about it. Oh, I kind of cool. want to know where the story's going, kind of. Mm. Um, but the thing that I keep coming back to is, you know, honestly, if this was a more traditional, like, turn-based game, or if it was a um, more like um, Desperados or something like that, I think it would just straight up be better. And I feel like the the attempt the, the kind of determination that this be an action game given the complexity introduced by its systemic aspirations given clearly you know what needs to be a kind of modest budget production in terms of being an isometric game and, and so on with you know limited budgets in, in many senses for, for its various aspects is kind of the wrong call is is kind of my takeaway from it and obviously i don't know all the circumstances that go into that being the call but it is in, it's funny, I find myself torn because part of me, the part of me that, you know, uh, struggles to invest the time that hundreds, hundred plus hour RPGs need is sort of grateful that I've been able to blitz through this and get the measure of it while having every single gunfight be a fairly trivially easy shit show, frankly, even on medium difficulty. Because if I just sort of give up on finesse, I can basically just muck my way through things. Um, however, I think there's like, it would simply be better if I could express more intent in the way that I interact with it. And that's such a fundamental thing to level at a game, right? Like I would like to be able to predict the consequences of my decisions more accurately. And for that reason, I would prefer this game to be turn-based or pause-based or something like that. You know, um, I would like to have fewer enemies and fewer companions if the ones that I engaged with behaved more predictably. Um, I would rather have fewer conversations if the conversations I had were more meaningful. There are some moments that I've liked, and I have repeatedly appreciated that it hasn't forced me into. Well, it's interesting. It hasn't sort of like you know um, that it's sort of respected my decisions in lots of different ways. And I am curious to see where it goes. And I can understand yeah. people being charmed by it. But there are some yeah. really nice moments in it uh, off the path or just after the kind of the main quest line. I uh, match made between. Uh, two illiterate guards who are trying mm, to write I each other love one. letters. Uh, that was that was that was nice. Again, though, didn't really get into it. Like the the fact that one of them was illiterate didn't become more of a a thing than a uh, you know a note basically. And they, he just accepts that what you're reading him is uh, at face value straight away. So it doesn't kind of build on that. It feels like there is there is. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I would have definitely exchanged longer, meaningful dialogues for the incredibly uh, cursory plentitude that there is. Um, and it's a shame, because mm. even even when it is doing the sort of reactive stuff, 
there's quite a lot of railroading that happens as well in odd circumstances. Like there's a, a point, uh, there's a dialogue tree which uh, just railroaded me into like feeding a companion to a cannibal. <laughs> like yeah. at the beginning of that conversation, there was no expectation in my mind that it would end that way. And yet by the end of it, despite trying to say no as many times as I could, my character is just like, go on, get chewing. <laughs> uh, which is, I mean, uh, it just feels antithetical to the kind of game that this aspires to be. Um, but yeah, yeah, and then you know, and then the, the, the systems uh, just don't don't always coalesce in ways which are coherent. Like you know, have a perfectly nice conversation with a child, and then as soon as I finish the conversation, the child randomly barks. You won't get away with this. Runs into a pond, drowns, and the entire village <laughs> aggros. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the Ophelia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do like the character portraits. They're, do, they're yeah. beautiful. And there's lots of kind of like the, the, the sonic elements of the game are really interesting. And there is a lot of about the, the world building, which could be interesting if it was given space to blossom. I am even now, I don't know, eight hours in or whatever, intrigued by the, 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 the sort of mystical premise of it which uh, is what connects the different characters that you play across it. But I don't know that I can, I, I don't know that I can stomach any more of the, uh, of actually playing it because tactically for all its openness, your choice is boiled down to very broken stealth or <laughs> genuinely miserable combat. Um, is a shame yeah i feel like the, the bits which sort of show its honorable side are like you have the random encounters as you're kind of traveling between locations and some most of them are fairly rudimentary but the ones that you expect to be reactive to you will be reactive to you and you know that's good frankly like you know um if you in, you know encounter the weird witch is right and you interrupt it you'll get a different outcome to if you let it happen and and those are sort of good fundamentals and if they feel like um sort of, you know, reasonably GM'd random encounters in a role-playing game or something like that. And the good thing about that is I believe that those little moments where it does really react to you um, create a sense of trust with the game, so that your, you know, behavior is sort of meaningful in some ways. Um, but then, as you say, on the critical path, it does feel fairly railroaded, to be honest. Um, you know, it... it, it when I when I when you finish the story, you get this like little list of like these are the kind of state changes you've made to the world that will carry forward because the story is consecutive. So, you know, the way you leave the world with one character will affect it for the next one, which is cool. That's cool. But like, I wasn't really sure that I had done half the things that I'd done. I was like, it was sort of like, oh, that's news to me. I guess I I guess I did make that choice. I suppose I wasn't really aware that it was a choice. <laughs> and that is sort of to me more interesting than compelling. And I think that's kind of what it boils down to is that. You know, in some cases, I think my, you know, you know, I know for a fact that like my people killed statistic is not as interesting in this game as it would be in like Dishonored, for example, because in Dishonored, I feel like I'm, I'm exerting a lot of control over who I'm killing if I am choosing to kill. I'm not saying that Dishonored's system of punishing you for playing the game with its most fun tools is a better outcome. But like to, to the point, it does feel like a tabletop RPG or a setting for a tabletop RPG that I'm exploring but where all of the, the combat encounters are resolved by playing like table football. Like, <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Where it's like, well, you know, I guess we'll, rather than rolling some dice and making some strategic decisions, we're just going to enter the chaos box for a bit and we'll see what happens. Um, 
So yeah, um, I'm the, yeah, I, I think I will continue with it if only because I'm charmed by the pig man. Um, which yes, is... I have to say he's much more winsome uh, yeah. than the the initial starting character. I'm already invested in well because I mean I think it's just that the setup is much better. You know, you, you're playing an amnesiac pigman character who has found themselves immediately in diabolical circumstances they don't understand. Whereas the first character, it's like you're given literally no backstory. It's like, oh, your child's dead. Do revenge. And you're like, well, I don't know. I didn't even know that kid. Yeah. <laughs> Why would I care? <laughs> I think it does hang a lampshade on that somewhat, I think, given yeah, the kind of yeah. the metaphysical sort of But they need to do but... something to motivate you or get you engaged or invested. And they, they don't replace that with anything. They give themselves a get out, but then there's no, <laughs> there's no. Yeah, it's very. Otherwise. I would say it's very simplistic. Like you get to make some choices about the fate of certain characters that you might have come to see as allies, for example. Mm. Um, yeah. But there's no real sort of substantive relationship there, really. Like, you know, there's a quite early on you you, you get taught to have companions by being given the sheriff's deputy as a companion, and that guy kind of followed me around for ages until I wanted to replace him with someone more powerful, and I did, and he he basically, and then he was like. You know, the thing popped up to say, like, best friend for life, traveled together. And this person's now on the list of people who can show up to bail me out. And he said something like, your name is Jane. And the first thing he says, well, Jane, you know, traveling with you has been the most meaningful experience of my life. And then his entire character model transformed into a different character and he walked away. (laughs) 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 Changed in terms of dress, ethnicity, everything, just just like <laughs> it's like godspeeds godspeed son i'm glad you found See, yourself I, I don't actually think i don't think that the actual writing of it is is particularly poor i think no, that no. the writing of it is is as as good as it can be given the minute space that it has to achieve its uh objectives i find yeah. myself torn over better with more writing partly because i am in fa- i am generally personally in favor of like keep it quick and make me care you know what i mean that kind of thing yeah sure but i think there's a i think it's it's less that there's not enough of it it's that it's it's quite perfunctory and i'm interested in the design challenge of what you would need to do to slow things down and let it breathe in a way that encouraged the player to um to care you know in a way that like encouraged the player to um invest in those relationships but I think this is a problem that affects so many games with this systemic element, like, you know, um, ultimately the, in a systemic story, you're limited by what the system can produce and games are very good at telling you stories about things catching fire, basically. Um, and not very good. At, and then occasionally that means that the character you've been traveling with for a while burns to death, but they're not very good at generating sort of the things that give stories meaning in terms of either emotional significance or even just themes and interesting you know uh repetition rhyming mirroring doubling any of the kind of devices that suddenly give lift a story up and help it feel like it's sort of got some kind of weight to it which is because those things help transmit the sense that an author is guiding this experience for you and is actually laying out something with some meaning for you to uncover systemic games naturally fight that and so I, it just feels like an unsquareable um, mm. problem to me, despite obviously some very noble intentions. And I'm no longer in the press, so I think me saying that just makes me a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a sneak fuck. A sneak fuck. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. 
Um, I'd be really interested because I appreciate, I think someone on, on Discord, I'm forgetting who, and apologies, I, I'm, I'm not going to click too deep to, uh, to find out right now because I'm speaking live into the microphone. But I think someone did, you know, was said that they were kind of excited, liked the game and said they were excited to hear what we say about it. So apologies to that yeah, person. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm fascinated because obviously it's, I think it's, I think the reason is it is so close to a set of kind of design considerations that I find really interesting. But you know, the reason it misses for me is some fairly fundamental stuff. Like it's also just like even little things like it's very fiddly on inventory management and mm. encumbrance. And it's, it's, you know, boring, frankly, to feel like you have to go through every corpse because ammo scarcity and cash scarcity, but also don't really want to, cause you're going to fill your inventory very quickly with stuff that identical guns that you're, dism you're dismantling by holding G on each of them to turn them into bullets. Like, this kind of the busy work of it, like it does really feel like there's a cool world there and a very cool set of systemic ambitions, but interacting with them should just should be more slick and intentional than it is and cut out, you know, and less busy work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I like the pig man. <laughs> so I think that's all the time we have time for. Sentences work. <laughs> as 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 Roy Batty once said, <laughs> that's all the time we've got time for. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think it is. Um, thank you for listening. Oh shit, I said that too soon. Um, if you would, oh god, it's going well. I've got to remember how to do this. It hasn't been that long. Um, if you would like to <laughs> i'm sorry i've just had to much diet coke um i'm gonna try android get... malfunction yeah, yeah i'm sorry yeah um i have i've i've, I've batted it i've really batted it um i'm just put my sunglasses back on and <laughs> and i'm gonna try and compose myself and we're gonna try that again that i believe uh is all the time we have this week for the podcast if you would like to uh, join the Crate and Cribber community online for discussions of this podcast, others, and other things. You can find that community on our Discord channel, link for which is on our website, crateandcrowbar.com. You can also find this episode and others like it on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash crateandcrowbar. Uh, if you would like to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash crateandcrowbar. Thank you so much for everybody who already does. We'll be back next week with a lock-in of some description and back with the games podcast a week after that and so on and so on and so on until we eventually get to 400 episodes only eight weeks from now, which is a terrifying thought, at which point we'll think about time and stuff and then keep going almost certainly. I don't know why I made that sound so final. Um, I think that's <laughs> all the things I normally say um, because I the thing that throws me is the fact that when we're still not really doing questions, appreciate that. We're going to continue to give that some thought, but... Uh, appreciate the emails that we've had recently on the new format and people's thoughts and feedback has been much appreciated. Thank you for that. I think that's everything, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, in that case, I have um, been Chris Thurston and I do not object to Tom and Emma's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear it. I've been Marsh Davis. Uh, I've been Tom Senior, a man who's been thinking for the past half an hour about the fact that I might be able to make that horse 
fart and spew at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to married life, Tommy. <laughs> and thank you, thank you for listening, bye. everybody. <laughs> <laughs>